1: We are actually not at the Gateway Lounge. We're at our respective homes. I'm John with Matt. Although Gateway yesterday, supposedly rocking, it's become the chief's haven of Sioux Falls and they had the giant projector out there and uh, heating lamps and a supposedly... I would think, safe environment compared to having a huge crowd indoors in the bar. So good for Jackson and crew for uh, putting together a big Chiefs party, and it was almost probably a devastating scene, like a funeral, if the Browns would have been able to pull out that win yesterday. Something you, Matt, I'm sure we're cheering for. I, I You know, I'm... I'm thrilled, and it was really fun to watch Chad Henney, the the backup quarterback, pull out some big plays. Nice to know they can do that, at least against the Browns, without Patrick Mahomes. But um, I know you're riding the Browns, and you had to have been, uh, I don't know, how were you while you were watching that?
0: Uh, Only mildly invested. I I didn't get to catch the first half, mostly. Uh, Jen and I had to go pick up Arthur which is about an hour-and-a-half round trip. Um, But then when we got back, I turned it on, and they were down 19-3. to And I was kind of like, oh, geez, maybe I won't even watch this. But that was right when the Chiefs were lining up for a field goal that would have made it a three-score game. They missed it. Mahomes gets hurt. Browns, like, everything turned almost the minute I turned it on. So I was kind of like, oh, hey, maybe I'm the good luck charm here, so I'll keep it on for a while. And it was fun to see them get back in it and make it a game. It never really felt like they were – seriously threatening to win it or like that they were going to and obviously like you mentioned uh chad he made a couple plays and chiefs held on and i mean i'm you know i wasn't like living or dying with it but i definitely wanted the browns to win i think they're a great story um and you know the chiefs are the defending champs they've had their fun uh so i was hoping they'd win they didn't i guess now i'll root for the bills
1: <laughs> i was uh i was getting extremely nervous i mean why wouldn't i you, you no longer have Mahomes. For me, although the other the subplot is, okay, wow, you've got an extremely hot team with a really good offense. I mean, the Browns' offense was pulverizing teams recently, including the Steelers back-to-back. And meanwhile, okay, well, how limp does the Chiefs' offense go without Patrick Mahomes but with Hill and Kelsey and their running backs with and a couple other receivers that don't get nearly as much – run obviously because you have the best tight end and the fastest wide receiver in the game and the answer was you know they weren't very productive they only scored three points but they made just enough plays down the stretch and the defense which is you know a couple of years ago kept them out of the Super Bowl because they were so bad and and then last year was middle of the road good enough to to win the Super Bowl so I mean it was so I, so I don't know what the answer is because Everybody thought, by the end, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of the league, and Patrick Mahomes was a leading candidate for a portion of the season. But by the end, everybody defers to Rodgers because he doesn't have the supporting cast that Mahomes does. So we got a glimpse of the Chiefs without Mahomes. Obviously, it's a drop-off. But at the same time, that's what made it exciting and cool to see them at least pull out that win and here, so here's my question for you because I know you enjoy watching him do you hope he plays so now that the Bills are your team the Bills you know it'd be far I would think for you more enjoyable to a watch a game with Patrick Mahomes in it and b for the Bills to win if Mahomes is playing
0: I hope he doesn't play because it gives the Bills a better chance of winning. <laughs> I don't give a shit about him or being entertained. I want the Bills to win.
1: Do you dislike the Chiefs or are you just rooting for the no, underdog?
0: No, no, and and I, you know, it's been fun to see what Mahomes has done in a, such a short period. I mean, it would be a lie to say that I know Patrick Mahomes, but you know, I did get to see him as a kid running around the birdcage, you know, I know his dad. Yeah. And so, um, so that's cool. And you know, when he started becoming a an obviously pro obvious pro prospect at, uh, Texas tech, that was fun to watch. And then seeing him be a first round draft pick, that was fun to watch and then kind of recognizing like, Hey, this guy's got a chance to be pretty good in the NFL. That was fun. Uh, but now all of a sudden he's, you know, um, uh, arguably the number one superstar in the NFL. I mean, a league MVP, setting records, you know, he's on TV constantly with his endorsements and commercials and everything, you know, $300 million contract, whatever it is. Um, he's kind of, you know, transcended being that, oh yeah, that's the guy whose dad used to play for the Canaries sort of thing, even locally for people like us. So, I mean, I'm certainly not rooting against him at all. Like I said, it's been fun to see what he's been able to do, uh, but I also certainly don't feel obligated to root for him you know, just because he has this sort of casual connection to Sioux Falls or anything like that. And and like I said, as far as the Chiefs are concerned, I've never really had they've never been a team that I've loved or hated. So whatever. I'm pulling for the Bills.
1: Yeah. Well, and we're gonna get into Mahomes and where he sits in the pantheon of great quarterbacks of all time already, because we had two of them, Brady and Brady and Breeze, squaring off right after that and likely Breeze's last game. But you know, a couple more things about that Chiefs-Browns game. For one, do, would you lay it – you're you're invested in the Browns. Were you upset at former Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski for punting with about four minutes left? They had about fourth and one. Uh, he also uh, threw a challenge and lost a timeout, which – he would have desperately loved to have had uh, late in that game as well. Do you think some of that was on coaching uh, and the Browns uh, aiding the Chiefs? Because I certainly do. I was very appreciative that uh, <laughs> that Stefanski punted because they never got the ball back.
0: Yeah, um, I, you'd especially kind of think that with him being sort of a you know a younger, new school sort of coach that he'd be that guy that would be a little more willing you know to to take the risk or do the unconventional sort of thing and that's not even really unconventional anymore you know i mean we've kind of moved on to the point now where it's like hey yeah you go for it there uh, so it was a little surprising and and yeah i think like i said i didn't watch every down of the game even in the second half when i was home it's not like i was living and dying with every snap but everything you know i read later in the night and read today just kind of perusing my usual websites and twitter and everything is the consensus is he got out coached pretty badly and, uh, I mean, obviously you're going against Andy Reid, who's one of the more respected coaches in the NFL, but Andy Reed himself has taken a ton of heat over the course of his career, not for sort of his overall general coaching style or philosophy, but, but stuff like that, game management, time management, clock management, late game decisions. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see the kind of shoe on the other foot there. And I think most Browns fans from what I can gather were like, Hey, Stefanski is obviously a big hit. You know, he came in his first year, won 11 games, turned it around, Coach of the Year candidate, uh, but he got his ass handed to him last night by Andy Reid, and hopefully he'll learn from that.
1: Yeah, and by the way, Andy Reid for a while before everybody – I mean, the play he'll be remembered for last night, of course, is the wild fourth and one play where it looked like they were just going to draw the Browns, try to draw the Browns off sides. And even I was thinking, come on, this is lame. You know, when Kirk Cousins and the Vikings tried to do it, it never works every now and then. I think the bears jumped off sides at a critical point. Against the Saints last week but how often does it ever work you know it's it's toward the end of the game got fourth and one I can't remember what how much time was left a minute minute and a half two minutes and of course uh, at the very last second Henny drops back and throws a pass to a moving Tyree Hill and he gets the first and as a Chiefs fan I'm celebrating I'm like wow that's awesome thank you know, it's awesome to have the coach that has the cojones to call that with the backup quarterback, um, and so that's the play. And so Andy Reid's legend continues to grow, which of course it has uh, not only grown but reversed the last two years because he was probably maybe the best coach ever besides maybe Bud Grant to never win a Super Bowl until last year, and that's awesome. And it, the playbook is diverse and crazy, and 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 you know he's a he's a mastermind. He's a freak, but he also was the one who put Patrick Mahomes who already had a bad foot in harm's way by running the option on the play that Mahomes got hurt. And fortunately, you know, not a concussion bad enough that should spring him into not playing next week. But, uh, I wasn't like, I wasn't irate. It's it. I thought that was a classic Twitter in the moment overreaction, like Andy Reid, what an idiot. Um, but, I don't know. I was starting to, I was starting to feel the ghosts of chiefs playoff past at that point.
0: Well, the play at the end going forward on fourth down, it, like I said, I was only, I wasn't paying super close attention to the game. And so when I I, I looked up at that play and I was kind of like, am am I seeing this right? Like, is that, you know, the, the, the down and distance and the like, are they doing this? Like I didn't even have time really to sort of process it before the ball was snapped and they converted it. And just hearing, you know, Jim Nance and Tony Romo's reaction, and everything. I was kind of like, "Holy shit, that was pretty ballsy," <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And what? Uh, but you know, at the same time, that's why more and more coaches. You, you look at it like you should be doing this more often. Yeah. When you think about, it, that's a high percentage play. You have to get one yard. Yep. And it's in a situation where all the pressure's on the defense, and they converted it easily. It's not like it was one of those. You know, oh, I mean, it was just it. The it happened so fast, and it's almost like, of course they would go for it. Look how easily they got it. And uh, yeah, I think. You know, whether you want to give Andy Reid the credit or, or whatever, that was just ballsy play, and, and it worked, and sucks for the Browns that they didn't do that, and it cost them.
1: Well, and I never know if it's Andy Reid or Eric B calling the plays, because Reid gets all the credit, although I saw I saw somebody on Twitter say, that's why you should hire Eric B and it's not real clear. Uh, a guy that I know who's in the Chiefs media and working for their radio uh, affiliate, who, who uh, Even sports if he talk show. Play, he
0: wasn't the one who, who chose to go for That's it. That's very true.
1: Yeah, it'd be almost like a yeah, any other head coach kind of just makes calls the shot as far as the the big decision and the type of decision within the decision, you know, okay, we're going to go for it and here's what we're going to do. Um that was probably an Andy Reid play. But since it's MLK Day and uh, some of the other big news in the NFL is Head coaching hires. This be thing is confusing because he did at least one, if not a few, interviews last year, and he interviewed with all but one of the teams this year, and where everybody's wondering what the hell is going on. Why is this guy hasn't has he not gotten a head coaching job yet? Is it the is it the fear of another Andy Reid disciple isn't going to work? Even the Doug Peterson wins a Super Bowl in Philly, but ultimately he's gone, and. I, I can't figure it out. I'm starting to wonder. The only thing that has made sense to me is perhaps if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, there's a plan in place already for Bienem to take over. But there's of course also again MLK Day. Some wondering why why is this guy a prominent black uh, assistant on the Super Bowl winning team? Why isn't he hasn't ha, why has he not gotten his shot yet? What are you thinking?
0: Well, first of all, you can't rule out the race side of it you just can't as much as i know people want to it's a bad look chances are that if the sort of uh number one assistant the guy who everyone sort of looked at as the one guy who's been waiting his turn who's considered one of the top assistants in football was a white guy waiting around he probably would have been hired by now those guys get hired um having said that i i sort of get it too even if You know, maybe there's someone out there who's like, yeah, I just don't want to hire him because he's black. But there might be some somebody else out there who has more legitimate reasons. The obvious, you know, you just mentioned it. We don't know how much of a true impact he has on the Chiefs offense. There's definitely that thought out there that this is Andy Reid's doing. Um, He does have some personal issues in his past. I think that's kind of a bullshit reason because most of those things were way in his past. I mean, we're talking like 15, 20 years ago. What were they? Um, Because
1: I can't. Do you remember?
0: Uh, what the things that they, they're minor anyway, it's not like it was just like he got in a fight or a yeah. bar fight once or something and a, a couple minor things, but they were a long time ago. Um, the thing I, I think might be part of it too, is I think sometimes when one guy becomes sort of this face for, you know, who's going to be the guy to get the opportunity, whether it's, you know, that, that next black coach or, or next minority coach, or even not just when, when one assistant becomes this hot assistant that everyone is talking about, I think, I wonder if sometimes teams don't start to feel like, well, quit telling me who I'm supposed to hire, you know, like the, the, whether it's the media at large or agents or other coaches around the league, but you just kind of alluded to it there. Eric, the enemy has had this surrounding him for two or three years now Mm -hmm. that he's sort of the guy, the, the, the coach in waiting, whether it's for the chiefs or someone else, that this is going to be the next guy who's going to, And I think people start looking around and go, quit, you know, quit trying to make this decision for me. You know, there's other candidates out there. Like, I wonder if teams are feeling like, am I hiring Eric the enemy because everyone in the pro football media is telling me I'm supposed to? Or is this actually the guy that I want? You know, you bring him in for an interview. He interviewed with, you know, five or six teams. Maybe he doesn't interview real well. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, those things are all possible, but again, I still think it's absolutely fair for people that are complaining about it to go back and say a white guy in this same position, same resume, same everything, probably would have got hired by now.
1: Yeah, it, it, that would have added up at this point, and that's, some, that's a thing some people don't like to hear. Uh, I, it's obviously ridiculous still, the low percentage of head coaches in the NFL, especially when you look at the high percentage of players, 80%-ish, that are African American and how few— of the coaches and head coaches and front office people are black and we all know why that is. There's just been, it it starts, it starts with ownership starts at the top and not enough minority hires have have been made up until now, whether that's because some of these owners are racists or who the, who the hell knows it's frustrating. Um, And again, maybe go ahead. It's a lot
0: harder. It's a lot harder to work your way up. um, If you're, you know, if you're not a wealthy guy, yeah, uh, if, you don't, if you don't come from some sort of background that gives you that chance, you know, I mean, so many coaches, especially nowadays, where fewer and fewer coaches are former players, you know, that used to be sort of the avenue. You were a player, you went on to be a coach. But nowadays, players make so much money that if you're a successful player, why would you want to be a coach later? <laughs> you know, if you just made $100 million, you're going to go, you know, you why would you want to go coach? So what, you're, what you have instead is a bunch of guys that are coaches now who didn't play. Maybe they played in college or had a very, you know, or like a a PJ Fleck who, you know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but didn't really play. So everyone else is just someone who's working their way up. You know, they do an internship or a quality control coach somewhere and, and just gradually work their way up. Um, But again, so often white guys are going to have a better opportunity to do that. You know, they're going to be able to take that unpaid internship, or go work somewhere where they're you know a GA for two years and they don't make any money, you know. There's there's a lot, of, frankly, just a lot more white families that have the ability to do that. I mean, uh, Arthur Smith, assistant coach for, who is it is it, I, don't, I think he got hired today or yes. a couple days ago. Falcons. Yeah, to be the Falcons coach. Yeah, his dad is the CEO of FedEx. You know. Yeah. I mean that that that's something that let's let's face it. I'm not saying that Arthur Smith isn't a qualified candidate. And that he isn't going to be a great coach, but think of the opportunities that he had in front of him. You know, money has never even been an issue. You know, he could he could have been an, an unpaid intern for twenty years if he wanted to, and, and learned under every coach. And those are the opportunities that a lot of these guys get. So yes, it is you know, racism or some short, sort of prejudice part of it? Of course it is, uh, but also I think. Maybe the deeper rooted problem is just that there's so many more opportunities for white guys and there has to be some sort of way to, I think, encourage more black players, more black students uh, to have opportunities to become assistant coaches, you know, get to it where it starts, GAs, internships, stuff like that and work their way up and give them the opportunities that so many of these other white coaches have had.
1: You know, a guy we were just talking about Stefanski, his father was an executive in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and then of course there's the, um, Kyle Shanahan's of the world. Who's, his dad was a prominent NFL head coach forever. They're going to easily, they're going to easily get jobs and it's a boys, you know, it still is a boys club. A lot of these coaches hire old friends who they coached with. And a lot of them like to hire their sons. It's all Mike Zimmer's kid, Bill Belichick's kid. They're both, they're both becoming coordinators and waiting to become head coaches at the next second. And a lot of owners and almost, I believe all the owners are white. They're just ready to hire those guys, those guys with those names. And, that pedigree and you know some people like Kyle Shanahan earn it I mean he took the Niners to the Super Bowl he's obviously really good uh you know you shouldn't quite necessarily be denied a chance if you are the son of a prominent uh, successful white coach and you grew up in it and know how to do it and obviously are uh, somewhat right beyond the, the capable point, of it yeah the
0: point is like I said like just again not to pick on Arthur Smith but to use yeah. him as as an example you know yeah. if, if he wanted to go be a an a GA somewhere where he didn't need a salary, where he didn't need a place to live, all that stuff. He could have done that for an unlimited amount of time because of you know with his with his family background. Just his personal situation and there's obviously more white coaches who have opportunities like that who who have the luxury of being able to do things like that you know there's just fewer and fewer black coaches that can go be an unpaid intern or be an unpaid GA for a long time that makes it harder for them to work their way up
1: so the pool is smaller obviously there are fewer black candidates than there are white candidates and therefore there's still a lot more white hires but I mean and we don't know that we don't know what goes on within the minds of these owners who ultimately make decisions but do you suspect there's still some racists out there well
0: sure there are (laughs) i think that goes without saying that are owners yeah yeah and i think another thing too that probably happens is even owners that hire a black coach are still going to look at him as a black coach you know if an owner hires a white coach they don't think to themselves i hired a white coach they just think you know i hired a coach Whereas if they hire a black coach, it becomes a a bigger thing. And then I think what happens is if that coach doesn't work, work out, then I wonder if they're more gun shy to go back to that same pool again. Yeah. And that's, again, something that I think white coaches don't have to deal with as much. Yeah. I mean, Adam, Adam Gase got that second opportunity. Uh, Rich Kotite, considered one of the worst coaches of all time, got a second opportunity you know, a lot of times black coaches don't get that luxury either. Yeah,
1: you, you were mentioning Rich Kotite, the guy who replaced him in Philly ages ago, was named Ray Rhodes, and Ray Rhodes, I believe, got one shot. I don't think he got another shot, unless maybe the Packers hired him too. Yeah, he coached
0: the Packers. That's for a That's right,
1: for like a second. So maybe he wasn't very good. But yeah, a lot of them don't get the second chance. Leslie Frazier might get it, and it's crazy that it seems like Leslie Frazier, who the who is supposedly, as we speak, the the I'll be kind of surprised if he does. The lead think. guy for the Texans. And he gets it instead of Eric Bieniemy. Okay, then you know I I, I can't.
0: Is that what Is he the supposedly the leader for the Texans? Uh,
1: he's he's right up there, as far as I know. Hmm. Yes, he, he's I mean, been his name's been associated with the Texans uh, search. So um, and and and, and it, sometimes it's just hard to judge how good a head coach will be based off of one bad trip because every it feels like a consensus that Leslie Frazier, super nice guy, wasn't a great defensive coordinator, wasn't a good head coach in his one turn. Um, the roster wasn't that great of, you know, he was taking over an aging roster and everything had fallen apart in the second, in, in the second Brett Favre year and, and things just got worse and he didn't have a quarterback. It wasn't his fault. Christian Pon, Ponder mm-hmm. and Joe Webb were and and, and a, uh, a, a, you know, a past his expiration date, Donovan McNabb were his fucking quarterbacks, but uh, I have no idea if he'd be any good second time around. He's not going to be working with a great ownership front office or roster in Houston, although he will have a good quarterback if he gets that. So anyway, um, so I'll, I'll stay with the MLK thing, and we could, we could make this as, as detailed or brief as we want because I, I want to put some local slant on it. Uh, you could, we talk about because this time of year, on this day, and especially when there's, openings in NFL, it's, it's a hot time to do exactly what you and I just did, have a discussion about the race uh, and the lack of uh, African-American and minority head coaches in the most popular sports league in America. What about locally? This might be a tougher one or maybe an easier one to deal with and discuss, but I, it got me thinking, and you've know, you you've been here your whole life, 40 years. I, I've been here a collective 12 or 13 years and like to think I have somewhat of a grasp on history, but in general, we haven't seen hardly any minority head coaches at any of our four uh, Division One and Division Two colleges uh, for major sports or any sports and uh, haven't seen it at the high school level either. I don't think that's a gross understatement. I, I think of the guy at Garrettson High School, Garrettson High School. That's about all I can think of when it comes to head coaches and i'm I'm mostly thinking football and basketball because that's mostly what we talk about um uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong and then you can take it and and tell me if that is something that needs to be
0: addressed well you're not wrong i can't think of of any i mean there have been only a couple even just within the conferences around here you know right now you've got uh rodney billups at denver uh billy wright was just fired at western illinois um you know, there was Wayne State, men's coach a few years ago. Um, yeah, it's been almost entirely white coaches. And I think in defense of, of the South Dakota schools here, I mean, let's face it, this state has been traditionally 90 to 95 percent white. Um, so it's it's been less of an issue. Um, I do know a few years ago, uh, Augustana had when, when they hired OJ, uh, one of the four finalists uh, was a black coach. Um, he interviewed well. Um, and I don't think they didn't hire him because he was black, certainly. um the the I think the knock on him was that he was kind of a little bit of a job hopper. And sure enough, I think right after he like, took another job, he left after a year. And obviously, OJ's worked out well there too. Um, USF has had a couple black coordinators, so has Augustana. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, obviously as as South Dakota State and USD, have grown their programs to the division one level uh the size of their coaching staffs has expanded and i think john Stiglmeyer, bob nielsen joe glenn they deserve a lot of credit they have uh diversified their coaching staff yes they have you know and and not just you know uh you know in a in a sort of perfunctory way i mean stig has made very clear to me in, in a few on a few different occasions like that's really important here you know we want kids that are coming here Uh, to have people that they can look up to who look like them. They want them to have role models. They want them to feel a sense of inclusiveness there. And I think John has done an an earnest, you know, an honest thing there. It isn't just, you know, for show. Um, The big test, obviously, over the course of the next, I don't know how many years, uh, will be, you know, if minority coaches get further chances uh, to be a coordinator, to be a head coach. Um, I think we'll see that. You know, I I think Zach Lujan, the Jacks quarterback's coach, recruiting coordinator, was just their quarterback a few years ago. He really strikes me as a future head coach. I could absolutely see him uh, being in a role like that. You know, and and John Johnson, Christian Smith, the guys they have in their staff now, have really done a great job. Their players like them. Uh, I could absolutely see them moving into coordinator roles. And, you know, once you get into that coordinator spot, that's when you have the opportunity uh, to be a head coach. Uh, You saw it at USF. They gave Tremaine Jackson – an opportunity a few years ago to be Jed Stugart's defensive coordinator. Uh, He didn't become a head coach here, uh, but he is a head coach now. So, you know, those things I think are coming. Uh, Obviously South Dakota is kind of always behind the eight ball in everything, uh, let alone anything that's, you know, progressive or that involves race or things like that. So, you know, I I couldn't tell you when we're going to have our first minority coach at one of the, you know, major sports at one of our schools here. Uh, but I do think everyone that is involved in those decisions, um, you know, are aware of it and, and trying to move forward on that and, and be more uh, inclusive and cast a wider net on that because they understand that it isn't a Rooney Rule thing. You know, it it isn't about, okay, we made sure we interviewed this many people or whatever. It's about finding the best candidates, but also, you know, sending a message to potential recruits, kids that want to come to your school that, you know, everyone here has an opportunity. We want you to feel comfortable coming here and we're not just going to you know, make sure that there's always some silver haired white guy running our program all the time.
1: Right. Well, and it obviously could help you get better athletes or it could help you get more African-American athletes, you know, that, that helps in recruiting as well. Um, you look at Western Illinois. Their last two men's head basketball coaches—the one you just mentioned—that just was fired after last year, and then uh, I think his name is Rob Jeter, uh, the new guy. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a school that's in a traditionally white place, macomb Illinois. But chances are they want to get most of their players from the Chicago area uh, to have a chance. And how are you going to get? Kids who might might have been overlooked, but were great players in the Chicago area, to come to Macomb, Illinois, where it's. Uh, I have you been, Have you ever made the trip out there before?
0: Several times. Oh
1: yeah. Is it uh, as glamorous as it sounds and seems?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how
1: are you going to get great athletes that can compete and try to win the Summit League when you? I mean, it. it uh, I'm just. I, my my guess is that doesn't hurt, and that's maybe partly why they have gone that route. The, the la- their last two head coaches anyway, uh, and you know when it comes back to here, yes, most of our population is uh, white, uh, so therefore are And when it comes to the high school level, of course, um, it's the same thing. A lot of that's the population of the kids, and I don't know uh, how many or if at any coaching hire is made in, in our Sioux Falls public school system or O'Gorman or the neighboring suburbs and smaller towns, how often you ever get a minority candidate. I have no idea. So I just thought it was an interesting thing to think about. So, and I think, I thought we did okay. And I think we could move on. Uh, So uh, Drew Brees, Tom Brady last night, a game for the ages, literally. And it's, Brady wins. He plays a lot better. He's older, and yet he looks like he has a lot more in his arm. He's just, he's still got it. Drew Brees obviously doesn't. I mean, he just fell apart in the fourth quarter. He never tried to throw anything downfield the whole game and really didn't the whole year. So it's not a big surprise. He's probably going to retire. That was the report before the game. He's got a job at NBC set up, and it'd be hard for me to believe he's going to come back. And the only reason why he didn't announce it after the game is because these guys want their own standalone press conference at at some point um how do we so how do we look first of all at drew Brees because he does have the most yards and the most i think the most yards and completions all time and i crunched a bunch of numbers their regular season numbers because i thought that those numbers don't mean a thing because they throw the ball so much more this day and age right um so but i'll 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 give you the floor on on breeze and truly where he ranks all time in the pantheon
0: okay go ahead what do you think oh 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 I, I misunderstood you um i don't know i mean probably top 10 at least i mean like you said he's number 1 in the major major categories um but it's funny that you bring it up cuz cuz i was doing the same thing too going back to look at the numbers and you know the last i think the last few years looking at the saints go what are, what were they this year 11 and five something like that uh and then you know each of the last four years essentially they've been a playoff team I think that has helped uh boost his legacy a little bit down the stretch here obviously they won the Super Bowl way back but I've always kind of dismissed him kind of like you said every year he's throwing for six bazillion yards on teams that are going seven and nine and eight and eight every year and it kind of felt like are the Saints trying to win, or are they trying to pad Drew Brees' stats? Mm. You know, how, how many seasons did it seem like, you know, if your team played the Saints that year, you knew Drew Brees was going to throw for 390 yards and three touchdowns, but that didn't mean they were going to beat you. You know, they never yeah. ran the ball. They were never any good on defense. It was just like this constant, you know, uh, almost like watching the Saints play, you know, seven-on-seven seven kind of thing, or 6 whatever. whatever um, You know, it yeah. just was sort of... I just always was like, the numbers are so amazing every single year, but I'm just not that wowed by this guy. Right. You know, 75% completion percentage. I mean, that used to be unheard of, and he did it like three years in a row, and he's thrown for 5,000 yards how many times and 45 touchdown passes. Um, obviously, you know, I, I would never suggest that like he isn't a great quarterback, that there that there was some sort of smoke and mirrors going on, but you just kind of wondered like, okay, are we should we really judge this guy by the stats? You know, how many yards and touchdowns would so many of these other quarterbacks be able to throw for um, if, if that's how they ran their teams? Uh, and, you know, playing indoors, too. Obviously playing half the games in the Superdome year after year. So I think the fact that the last few years the Saints have been consistently winning and being contenders, even though they didn't get back to a second Super Bowl, I think that adds to his legacy a little bit. He has the Super Bowl title in hand. I mean, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. We all know that uh, and, and absolutely should be a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. Do I put him ahead of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning? Certainly not those three. Um, Joe Montana, no. Brett Favre, probably not. Uh, even though I know the statistics are better. It's a little bit of a different era. Hmm. And Like I said, I think he maybe squeezes into the top 10, but I probably wouldn't put him in my top five.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't either. The, the quarterback is better protected these days, but when you go to the all-time greats, and I, Mahomes to me and to a degree Aaron Rodgers as well, but Rodgers is still kind of more, he's up there in age now. He's more, I think, in the category of Breeze, Manning, uh, Tom Brady. Just partly because of his age and with the era he has played in. Because I'm going to get to, like, Mahomes so far has all these guys beat statistically. And it's not just because he's not throwing that much more. But I really thought they just throw a lot more in New Orleans than they I went back and compared Breeze to Marino and LA. I put them in there along with Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers, and Peyton Manning. All of these guys throw have thrown between 31 and 36 attempts per game. I mean, I just, you know, I divided attempts by games they've played because obviously some played more than others. Well, and and if you take out Elway, between Rodgers, Brady, Elway, Marino, Breeze, Manning, these guys have 33 to 37 attempts per game. Uh, and Breeze is at the high end of 36. But I mean, they, they're all throwing a bunch, about the, about 35 times a game. Um, Breeze has more yards per game than everybody on this list except Mahomes. Uh, more yards per game, even more than Tom Brady. These are regular season stats, by the way. And obviously Brady has played in the most Super Bowls and therefore probably just been a much better Clutch playoff performer, and that's why he gets the nod ultimately, is because when the stakes are the highest, he seems to play the best. He's made it to nine Super Bowls and won six of them, and I think Breeze has made one and one one. And, you know, that's that somehow sometimes has to do with your head coach and the supporting cast, but I mean, when it bears out that lopsided in Brady's favor he's a better quarterback and he should be judged as you know those the playoffs should matter but going by regular season Breeze doesn't throw it a lot more than any of these throws it about the same as all these other guys he throws for more yards Uh, yards per attempt which means getting the ball downfield 7.6 yards to so it's not dink and dunk because more yards per attempt than Marino than Elway and neck and neck with Tom Brady and just a little bit less than Manning and Rodgers and touchdown to interception ratio. I find that important. Well, Drew Brees has averaged two touchdowns a game his career. So have Rodgers and Manning, but that's more than Marino, Elway, and Brady have averaged in their careers. Uh, so the numbers actually do stack up regular season wise if you bear out averages. If you find, and quarterback rating, by the way, Brees is like a 99 all time rating, uh, Brady is 97. Again, regular season: La ninety three, Marino eighty six, Manning one hundred and two, Rogers one hundred and four. So I hope I didn't convolute things. Um, in general, he's statistically he's in he's right in there with all those guys. But you'd kind of distance uh, you'd kind of distance Brady and a little bit of Peyton Manning because of what they ultimately did, probably more clutch moments.
0: Is is that fair? Does that explain it? Uh, I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, maybe some of it is just. You know, Drew Brees did it for so long that yeah. you become a little numb to it. I mean, yeah. maybe we are over, uh, underrating him. I don't know. I mean, yeah. It's it's amazing when you look at, I got it right in front of me here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12 straight years of over 4,000 yards. Yeah. You know, And three times you went over, four times you went over 5,000.
1: And it wasn't just dink uh, and, and dunk.
0: Again, yeah. And again, it, a long, yeah. For a long time, 60% completion rate was a high number. 74, 74, 72, yeah. 71, 71. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, but again, if it was that incredible, how come he only got to one Super Bowl? Yeah. Were, were there maybe some seasons where the Saints would have been better off if they weren't insisting on Drew Brees completing thirty passes every game uh, and maybe running the ball a little bit more, having a better defense, keeping the yeah. defense off the field? You know, I think those are all fair questions. And you know, I don't know that he necessarily compares super well uh, in style, anyway, to Rodgers or Brady or some of those guys. But. Uh, you know, you know, Brett Favre played. I mean, he obviously crossed over with Drew Brees, but I think it's still a little bit of a different era. Uh, John Elway certainly a different era. You know, you tell me those guys couldn't have thrown for five thousand yards every single season if they wanted to throw the ball that often uh, in in that kind of style. Sure, they could have. Uh, and even the you know the touchdown interception thing. I mean, totally different eras when you're talking about Elway, Marino. I mean, back then the offenses weren't protected in the way that they are today. I mean, yep. Marino and Elway threw 20 interceptions in a season all the time. And it wasn't considered that big of a deal. No. You know, not now if a guy throws more than 10 in a season, it's considered too many. Uh, so some of those numbers are hard to compare and they'll always be hard to compare. Yeah. It's like in any sport, comparing numbers from different eras is always difficult, but I think we've spent all this time talking about something. I think we both agree with, and most people agree with top 10, Probably top five. No, I don't think so. Right.
1: Okay. So let me ask you this then. Uh, First of all, MVP this year, A, do you care? I don't. And B, is it Mahomes or Rodgers?
0: I haven't seen Mahomes' numbers. I did catch Rodgers recently, and I was like, oh man, those are amazing. He's the MVP. Yeah. So Mahomes' numbers must. And and also, again, you know, Mahomes should not be penalized for the fact that. The Chiefs were expected to be good, and they are good. Uh, But I think the Packers have exceeded expectations to a greater degree than the Chiefs have, and most people would agree that that's almost solely because of Aaron Rodgers. He probably gets a little more credit than he deserves. That supporting cast isn't as terrible as I think people make it out to be sometimes. Um, But I still think uh, 48 touchdowns against five interceptions – Kind of speaks for
1: itself. It's a and it's a lesser cast than Mahomes, obviously. I mean, he's he's got everything. He's got the he's got the wizard calling the plays, and again, fastest wide wideout in the NFL, and then a couple of other dudes like Hardman and Robinson you don't really talk about, but they're there. Kelsey's the best tight end. Uh, and uh, last twenty five starts, by the way, Patrick Mahomes twenty four and one, two hundred ninety four yards a game, uh, fifty eight touchdowns to twelve interceptions six rushing touchdowns uh if he continues to kind of play like this i don't think there's any doubt he's going to surpass all these guys there's a long way to go but do you think he's better at this than than all these guys we talked about are ultimately or do you or do you pin a lot of it on his supporting cast which guy are you talking about Mahomes. now we're talking okay. Mahomes. now
0: um he just hasn't been doing it long enough for me yet to put him in that conversation like he's really sure, sure. amazing. And I think, um, you know, does he have a chance to be top five, top three, number one all time? Yeah, he yeah. does. Um, but you know, you got to do it for a minimum of 10 years, you know, he's been doing it for two or three. So I don't know. I don't, I don't really even think of the younger guys in those terms yet, just because you got to prove it. You got to do it for a long time. I mean, that's I honestly, know. that's kind of what, Holds Marino back a little bit. Yes, there's the lack of a Super Bowl, too. If you go back and look at his numbers, he was off the charts for the first five years of his mm-hmm. career. And then after that, settled into being, eh, just pretty good. Okay. Yeah. And he still, to this day, I think, has an inflated reputation of how good he actually was. He put up numbers in his first couple seasons that are similar to what these guys are doing today. Yes. Back in an era where that was crazy. He was throwing 5,000 yep. yards back back when 3000 was amazing, you know? So that's incredible. And that's why he got that reputation. But like I said, after a a four or five year run there at the start, he was not all that special the rest of his career. Uh, So that could very easily happen to Patrick Mahomes, where he has this five year run of being an elite quarterback, then settles into being, you know, a pretty good quarterback the rest of his career. That's great. Probably gets him into the hall of fame. He's already got his super bowl ring. We would look back later and go oh you know top 10 all time top five all time best all time no way
1: yeah i think eyeball test wise that the, the, specifically the talent that he has is uh it, it, he, he can do he, to me he can do more things and still make all the pressure great throws that these guys can he, he supporting cast is phenomenal will it stick around but for what it's worth, he's throwing just a hair more than anybody else ever did. 37 attempts per game in his career. Breeze was 36. Brady, 35. Rodgers and Manning, 33 and 35. But Patrick Mahomes, by far, throwing for the most yards per game. By far the highest uh, p- passer rating at 109. And uh, by far the most yards per attempt, the ability to get the ball down the field at 8.5. Nobody comes close to that. So that's all for what that's worth. And, and I, I skipped this when we were talking about Breeze. So did you, did you, were you, he seems, he seems like an incredibly likable guy, a tough guy not to like or root for, but did you root against him simply because he's just guilty by association with the 2009 Saints? Like as a Vikings fan, did you, did did you ever root against him or not like him just because of that?
0: I don't particularly care for Drew Brees. I don't find him to be super unlikable, but he's kind of one of those guys to me that, I don't know, you get a little bit. Over, he's been just a little bit overcooked, I think. I mean, I almost feel like I know a little bit too much about Drew Brees. I don't <laughs> need to see him on TV as often as I do or hear as much about him.
1: <laughs> You're going to more.
0: Um, yeah, I know. It's I don't have anything against the guy, but no, I've, I've never rooted for him. I've never seen him as one of those, oh, he's one of my favorite non-Vikings players. I've never thought of him that way. Uh, I And I hate the Saints, so I root against – yeah. I've never been like, oh, I just want Drew Brees to suck. I, no, it's not like that, but – I can't stand the Saints, and I was rooting hard for the Bucks last night, and I was glad they won.
1: And you hate the Saints because of '09,
0: among other things. Yeah. Oh, okay, what other things? We only got a few minutes, John. Yeah, move on. <laughs> Who's who? Do, who do you got in the Super Bowl? Um, I mean, obviously, I want it to be the Bucks and the Bills,
1: yeah,
0: and it's more likely to be the Packers and the Chiefs. Yeah. So I
1: don't know. Yeah, me too. All right, so we had the big announcement that there will be no fans at the summit league tournament, which will be moved from the Denny Sanford premier center, which has just been electric at least whenever the Jacks and in recent years, Yotes take the floor, especially when they play each other and the events just not going to be the same. They moved it to the Pentagon no fans will be allowed even though Augustana in their games playing at home in the Pentagon now they're allowing fans in after their first couple of games they weren't Uh, I can't imagine the kind of feedback you've been getting about this as the guy who covers this from the Jack's point of view Um, so what was your reaction to that announcement?
0: Um, Certainly wasn't surprised Uh, disappointed I guess I mean I wasn't It's funny, when they announced it, I was kind of like, oh, wow, really? And then I was like, well, duh. Like, did they think we were going to get enough people vaccinated by the end of February, early March, to invite 10,000 people into the Premier Center again? I mean, certainly there's the possibility that they could, you know, the Stampede have been playing in there all winter. So, I mean, it's not – I have not been to a Stampede game, so I don't know what that looks like. Uh, It seems to be going okay. They've had a, a couple cancellations for the most part. It's happened. The Canaries played. Obviously, you saw how they handled that. Um, So I guess maybe I was wondering if they would try some sort of limited capacity, socially distanced sort of thing. But I kind of think they're doing the right thing in not doing that. Like, what's the point? You know, part of what has made that tournament so great, what makes March Madness what it is, is, you know, having the place absolutely rocking. You know, just having this energy where the crowd is a, a, you know... A, a sentient being of its own kind of that contributes to the game, and you're not going to have that with 20% capacity or 10% or 50%. So, why even do it? Why not just move it to the Pentagon where you don't have this big old building? Obviously, at this point, the Pentagon can do this kind of thing with their eyes closed. They've been putting together these COVID tournaments since basically, you know, the end of the summer. um They already know what they're doing. They're ready to do it. They can still house all the teams. There's all that auxiliary courts so they can practice and do all that. They can put the teams in the hotel, put them through all the, you know, protocols and everything. Um, It's just, you know, there's not going to be any fans and we already know what that looks like because we saw it at the uh, bad boy Moore's classic and then the Dakota showcase. And so everyone I think is, is kind of used to, well, and then, you know, throughout the regular season, even teams that are allowing fans are only allowing a couple hundred at a time. So the, at this point, the players, coaches, teams, everybody, they're used to this. They're used to playing in an empty gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure the teams outside of South Dakota are, are happy about it because a lot of them are always bitching about how unfair it is, that it's always a home court advantage for South Dakota teams. Well, that's being taken away now. Yeah. It clearly, clearly levels the playing field. But having said that, I wonder if some of the South Dakota, specifically the SDSU men, might not be all that upset about it either because – I think you can say when you look, especially how the the first-round games have gone and a couple of the championship games have gone, the SDSU women have mastered this tournament and how to play to the crowd, how to use it to their advantage, how to make that place their own. They've won, you know, how many tournaments? and and We all know none of this is news. The men, on the other hand, they've won it three or four times, whatever it is, gone to NCAA tournaments, but they've also choked a couple times. You know, they lost the very first year in the Premier Center. Lost in the championship game, North Dakota State. Nobody expected that. And then, you know, two years in a row, they could they could barely beat Western Illinois that one year when it was they were the one seed. Then the next year, Mike Dom's senior year, they're the one seed. They lose to eight seeded Western Illinois a team. They beat by fifty in the regular season. Uh, and then last year, you know, they didn't have Doug Wilson, so I don't think that felt as much of a choke as some of the other ones in the past. Uh, but it has often seemed like maybe the men. Kind of pinch their buttholes together a little tighter oh, than yeah. the women do in that s- scenario. That they don't necessarily uh, use that crowd to their advantage. That sometimes it works against them. Uh, that that they get nervous. That they you know feel the pressure of having to win for those fans all the time. I wonder if they won't. You know, even if they do actually miss the fans and miss the crowd and everything. If I was Eric Henderson, that would probably be how I'd pitch it. You know, like, hey guys, there's no pressure. There's no en- anything here. You know, just go out and play because there have clearly been times in the past where the pressure to win in that environment in front of all those blue and yellow fans has got to them
1: yeah maybe the women should the women's team should give them some sort of course in meditation or yoga or or how to not pinch your buttholes or something like that (laughs) in future years i don't you know that's that's a that's a weird one to explain but uh not this year And I do think, we talked about this when we were discussing lack of fans at, you know, some NFL games and a lot of sporting events when we were just getting sports back late summer, early fall, that there's part of me that doesn't want it this way all the time. And now the Summit League tournament falls into this category. But I think it's interesting that I there's a part of me that does like this, that it's sports in a lab. That's not the way sports really should be. There should be elements. There should be a crowd. That should factor it. How well do you handle that kind of pressure? Not just feed off of it like the SDSU women do, but how you can not wilt under it like the SDSU men have the last two years. That is a definite part of sports, the, you know emotions and surroundings. Uh, but there's part of me that also prefers to see most Super Bowls and championship games in domes or in good weather. Either. Because as, as as cool as it is to see the snow globe effect, maybe at Lambeau Field for an NFC title game, uh, I you know we saw it in Buffalo with cold and high winds. That's a horrible, boring game, and it limited some great quarterbacks offensively to what they can do. I don't want to see that. Um, I you know I want to see in in per, basically I want to see in perfect elements how well you play, and in the Summit League tournament. You're right about those other teams. They get this one shot now where they're not, you know, they're not ambushed, overwhelmed by a crowd. And perhaps it's a much truer assessment of just how good these, these teams are. You know, just, one, just kind of a, a year of lab experiments in sports to take out those elements because maybe that is, to a degree, a truer determination, uh, take out elements of how good you are or not. I don't I don't well, think it's not the way I want it all the time. Just, you know, for one... I'm
0: sure uh, I'm sure John Kaufman, the Fort Wayne coach kind of wishes they were still in the Summit League for one more year. <laughs> yeah, uh, no he kidding. was kind of the one guy who was always the most and he kind of softened his tone a little bit over the years, but I think it was yeah. in large part just because he knew he was pissing people off, but Yeah. You know, he was one of the coaches who was like, "Hey, this is You know i wish we had this in our place well this would have been their chance to not have the fans to deal with
1: the uh by the 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 oakland women's coach not the current one but the one before her she was she was always the biggest whiner i'll never forget it she would always always whine after she she'd usually have the you know the best or second or third best team in the league and every year they'd get you know beat and she'd um she would uh, she would whine at the uh, at the press conference. But anyway, uh, I it, could there have been a thing where they could have made a twenty percent capacity or so for fans, uh, and so you have some Jack and 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 Yote fans in there to give to give that thing something maybe. But I am going to lean with at this point in time. Let's just do let's just lean too safe. If you think it's too, I'd rather lean too safe than reckless. And also, it has to take kind of a load off of the shoulders of guys like David Herbster and Justin Sell, these ADs, who probably, if they were given, okay, a certain percentage, you can have some fans in here, but only so many, I would guess they would have to, you know, determine themselves, first come, first serve, uh, highest, you know, boosters, yeah. season ticket holders, yeah. they don't have to decide any of that shit
0: now. That's a and good point. Yeah. I wonder who, if that didn't play into so, it, too.
1: And it, it really does suck, because a great thing about that thing is, is the crowds and the atmosphere, but um, would you rather have it or not? And that, by, and that goes into the regular season, and you wrote about this today with both the Summit League and the Northern Sun. Um, as, as we kind of expected slash feared uh, with, in the COVID era, you know, teams can test at any time and not play, and get two games canceled, and and maybe never made up. Some teams could perhaps potentially lie about uh, things and just shut her down. But anyway, uh, disproportionate number of games being played, throwing the standings off whack, as you mentioned. Summit League men, USD's four and zero, SDSU's two and zero. Oral Roberts and North Dakota State are five and one, but they're considered tied for third behind two schools that have played two to four fewer games than them. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, th- they're going to go by winning percentage to determine who's the regular season champ in the seeds for the tournament.
0: I mean, what else would you go by? Uh, yeah, you, I, I don't know. I mean, lost
1: column, but that doesn't make any sense either. So, uh, I mean. So, yeah,
0: I mean, there's definitely, you know, depending on how the schedule plays out, if, you know, SDSU, the two games they lost were two of their, I don't want to say easiest games because they were on the road, uh, but Omaha's a team they probably had a good chance of sweeping even on the road. And, you know, what if they have their trip to Oral Roberts and to North Dakota State? You know, Arguably the two toughest challengers to them in the conference this year. All four of those games, let's say they got wiped out. Then you got the doubleheader against USD. They split that. They're 9-1, and one, and they're done. You know, six games got wiped out. Then someone else, USD, goes 14-2. and two. And SDSU, despite winning five fewer games, gets the top seed, gets the conference championship. That could very easily play out that way. And, I mean, it's, it's not like it's, I, I want to say, you know, unfair to, to this team or, or that team because everyone knew going in that this is what, what it was going to be like. It's We're all dealing with it. But that's just something that would be unfortunate to whichever team was on the the losing side of it. And like I said, too, it can go both ways. You can get out of a hard game. You can get out of an easy game and get screwed by it. So it's just, I'm not saying that anyone did anything wrong, that there's something that needs to be done to address this. I'm just saying it's a reality of trying to go forward with a season in this weird format.
1: Yeah. I noticed in the Northern sun for the, Oh, let me see. Uh, Like there is, there is one division. I think it was the North division I can't remember who's the men or the women. Like everybody's only played. There's a couple teams that are still zero and zero. Two games. games. Yeah, everybody's only played like two games. Yeah. They
0: decided to have the first round, first weekend, when they played their one cross division opponent, not count towards towards the conference standings. Yeah. Which I get it because it's they're they're doing just divisional stuff this year. Then so so yeah, you've got a couple teams that are four and zero, and some other teams that are zero and zero, and you've only got what five weekends left because I mean obviously it's a shortened season. It's going to be over here pretty soon. So <laughs> that one's going to be just as screwy, if not more screwy than the Summit Yeah.
1: And, you know, fans are going to – some fans and maybe some uh, school representatives are going to bitch about how things are going to be seated at either of these tournaments because of all we've talked about. But, well, in uh, the NSIC, uh, only,
0: there's only uh, half the teams are getting in this year.
1: Yeah. Um, and, is, like, your, your, your explanation, even though it's 2021, is pretty much – it's 2020, man. I, like, it's not – there's no real. I mean, they could. I guess they could have special, super committee, uh, emergency meetings to hash things out, like a college football playoff committee, and the humans decide a different way of doing it because it's such like a like how they year. decided
0: to put Ohio State in at, at the last. Year yeah, like, I mean, yeah, now. I mean,
1: you could do that, um, but it's uh, it's a tough year for it's a tough year for all of us, and probably more leniency should be given to. For a lot of things, including that. By the way, there's not much to say uh, on the court for some of Northern Hoops, partly because neither the Jacks or Yotes men played, and the Yotes women were idle as well. USF's men, who were leading the conference, didn't get to go to Winona because of COVID, uh, and so not a lot went on. Uh, USF women continued to roll. Jack's had two impressive women's wins in Omaha. You wrote about that, uh, and you made the point that th- these might not be impressive, but if they continue to play they w- the way they do, Zim, they'll probably get, uh, you know, if they can't beat USD in the tourney, they'll probably get an at-large bid because they have a good resume.
0: Yeah, I think that it, it kind of illustrates how important those non-conference wins because – You know the Yotes are just absolutely pulverizing everyone in the Summit League. You watch their games and they're beating Kansas City and Denver, 93 to 36 and stuff like that. You know, and then the Jacks go play Western Illinois or Omaha, who are not especially great teams either, and they're beating them by 10. And so every time it happens, there's Jacks fans in my mentions going, "How come we're only winning by 10?" It's like, dude, you're winning. That's all that matters. Especially because you already you put some hay in the barn. To use one of my favorite phrases in this (laughs) non-conference, when you beat Gonzaga and Iowa State and. Uh, Missouri State, this great non-conference run where you won three games against ranked teams. When you get to the end of the year, if you don't win that conference tournament, if USD beats you, that committee is going to be looking at your resume. They're going to put a hell of a lot more weight on the fact that you're, how many games you won yeah. and the fact that you won these games against you know ranked teams. They're, they're going to be you know probably ranked very highly. And I'm gonna go. Oh well, they only beat Omaha by seven, and USD beat them by 36. Or uh, that's not gonna be a part. Of it. So just be happy that they're still winning games.
1: Yeah. And uh, Maya Sellen goes into the thousand point club. We talked about her last week. So if you want to check that out, check that out on our list. But you know, we're out of time. Uh, not a big weekend either coming up. SDSU has the U- UND at home for both men and women. That's somewhat big because it's kind of a rivalry. But uh, USD's at Western Illinois, and uh, we'll have, you know, enough of these games will get played that we'll have a lot to talk about. But we're done this week, Sim. Thank you. Enjoy. Talk next week. Sounds good,
0: Johnny. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you round drink? Yes.